So chapter six, and okay, I just wanted to kind of recap that because there are a couple points um, at the beginning that I need to, to go back to at the end. So chapter six, one through seven, it's funny because, you know, it's all administrative. I think my husband did that on purpose because I like administration. So again, I don't have my reader, so I apologize, but um, we're going to read chapter six. We're just going to focus on chapter one through seven. Who's, who's next week? Is it David? Who's next week? Harlan. I left Stephen all for you. Just a little bit. I, I, I do a little intro on him. So, um, again, I'm going to try. Bear with me because I can't. I'm 40-something. And, um, yeah, I just, did I tell you, every guys, I, I lost a year. And my husband, he was not nice when he informed me that I was actually older than I thought I was. He could have waited. On my birthday. He could have waited, right, until after my birthday to tell me that I'm actually a year older than I was. But, anyway, as long as I look younger, that's all that matters. Okay. Uh, the choosing of the seven. In those days, and I'm reading from the NIV, by the way. So, uh, the choosing of the seven. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the, um, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked on, a, on the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and they will give, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, I apologize in advance for the butchering of these previous names, the next names, Pro- Procurius, uh, Nicanor, Timian, and Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and in large number, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in to teach, to exhort, to challenge, and to change all of us. Amen. So um, we see all of a sudden as the church starts to growing that there's an administrative burden and there, that, that cause, that it, whenever you have a burden, and those of you have, that work in a, a field, whenever there's administrative burden, it, it's heavy and it kind of spreads through. Then you work from a place of, I always say we're digging a hole trying to dig out. You work from a deficit. So when there's an administrative burden, you're working in a place where you're in the deficit. And we always want to work in a place of pot, where we're in the black, not the red. I have a situation at work going on right now, and I had a girl that she's always working in a negative, which is why she can't keep up. So I had two choices to conflict resolution is to give her boundaries, guidelines, some out, um, some just little things to help her get in line. And then otherwise I said, or we're going to have to move. Well, we moved. So Sometimes, because she, I was trying to get her out of the negative to see if she could stay in a positive, okay? And she chose to not even try that. So, um, but the, um, my scorecard, she didn't measure up. Um, and not, not to my scorecard, I should say, the, the practice scorecard. 
So when there's administrative burden, um, it's felt by all, is what I'm trying to say. The team feels it, the church feels it, and um, that's all of a sudden what happened here. So the Grecian and our Hellenistic Jews, as they're called, the difference uh, I want to talk about them is they're Greek-speaking. Um, their version of the Bible is translated in Greek, and some say that there might be, I don't know how good the translation was at that time, but that's what they read. Um, they were typically Jews that were converted and possibly relocated to Jerusalem. And I think that's important to note. Also, they were considered possibly the working class Jews. Okay, So we have the Hebraic Jews who spoke Hebrew and Aramaic and were from Jerusalem and were considered probably the ruling class or the wealthy class. So already, you already see possibly as we're growing that their outsiders probably were feeling a little bit more outside, okay? Because they maybe didn't feel like they measured up. They weren't from here, you know. They weren't a native like Catherine, okay? They came from the outside to Colorado. Um, they were a native. They didn't really speak the language, so there was a language barrier. Um, they were the working class, so they didn't have the money or the resources. So we can already see there might have been already some tensions kind of teetering, possibly. Um, scripture states that male children are to take care of the widows, but if there, there is none, they were left um, to the, fam the family, the family not take care of them, then they were considered poor, and then the alms were given. So um, that is law, and pretty much the Hebraic Jews followed that. So we also can surmise, of course, this is according to Matthew Henry, that because the Hebraic Jews probably came from them, had the money, they probably had the land, which they sold to help feed the widows, okay? And so they were taking care of their own, so to speak. Um, it, it also says that it's not necessarily a malicious intent. They were like, basically, forget the, the Grecian widows, just, just take of our own. There wasn't, I don't, they don't believe that there was an underlying, like, I'm just not going to deal with you. It was just more that their, their focus, their time, their resources, and their money was being used to take care of their, and therefore possibly neglecting. So you, you got to understand the foundation so you understand the mindset. Um... Sorry, I'm trying to turn here. So because of their cultural differences um, and possibly financial, financial difference, and bear with me because I'm just laying a little bit of a history here, um, this was an opportunity for bitterness, jealousy, and envy. And possibly, again, like I said, not feeling a, really a part of the new church. And I bet every one of us can somehow relate to that in our Christian life whether we felt outside, whether we didn't feel like we measured up, whether we didn't feel like we had the resources, um, we didn't feel we had what it took to contribute, we didn't feel like we, had, we were being seen and valued. I mean, we can all probably look at ourselves and say, at some point in our Christian life, or in our personal lives, in our work lives, in our marriages, we felt that way. And I think it's important to understand that so we understand where the Grecian Jews were coming from and not necessarily... Again, that the Hebraic Jews were like, nah, I don't care about your widows. I'm taking care of my own. Because we don't, we don't sense, and they're saying that they don't believe that that was the mindset. But the opportunity for the offense was there. Okay, And in conflict, and any time we see that in our personal lives, in our work lives, in our homes, in our money, I mean, in our, with our marriages, with friends, with family, there's always an opportunity of offense. So, 
kudos to the Grecians because they had a choice. They could be complaining, which said they were complaining, but then they took the initiative and went to seek help. Okay, so every time in every area of our life, whether it's church-related, whether it's marriage-related, whether it's work-related, whether it's our family or friends, every time we have the opportunity to take that initiative and and turn an offense into a positive versus a negative. And that's what the Grecians did here. Thanks, babe. I'm not going to say that. (laughs) I'm going to say something, I'll tell you later. Uh, (laughs) um, So nonetheless, the apostles probably heard the grumbling. They kind of knew about the cultural differences, but nevertheless, they took and received their complaint and they took it seriously. They didn't, re- they didn't dismiss it. They didn't think what their motives are. They literally heard what they had to say. And as Christians, we are so guilty. I'm, you know, I'm speaking to myself, where we automatically filter someone's complaint through their eyes of what's their motive. And basically, the apostles are saying, I don't really care what your motive is. Is there really an issue here? Because in life, I've learned that every opportunity that comes my way, everything that's said about me, said to me, said for me, is a chance for me to look to the Lord and say, what are you trying to teach me here? And sometimes the Lord's like, it ain't, it has nothing to do with you. I mean, there was a situation in life, you probably heard that story where a guy was dealing with him, and I said, what is it? And he's like, no, this really, honestly, have a seat. This is with me, about me and him. But the thing was, have a seat, shut up, say nothing, and let me deal with your husband. So there was still something for me to learn. I'm sure he's been the same thing. So I have learned through one of my great ladies that spoke to me, Sharon Woods. She said, Teresa, every opportunity is an opportunity for you to learn something. So if we walk into every time somebody's offended, somebody has a complaint, somebody has an issue, somebody has said something about me, for me, to me, whatever, if I take that and say, God, what do you want to teach me? And sometimes it's just to say, take it, let them get it out, see where they're coming from, whatever. Whatever that is, use that opportunity not to be offended, but to grow. And especially as we go through the house of Acts and we're learning, we're trying to clean our house, this is a great tool that each one of us can take away. Because every time there's an opportunity for offense, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to learn from it? Am I going to complain about it? Um... So nonetheless, the apostles received and reviewed the complaint, regardless of what they felt their motives was, whether they felt it was justified or not. And um, so there are several things I think we can take away from the first church conflict. Okay, first we see the first church corruption. I'm talking about not in corruption in general, but since the power came, Ananias and Sapphira, the first corruption, now we're at the first conflict. And so we can take take a lot away from what the disciples or apostles were trying to teach us. So there's three things that I feel that are essential um, that can be used in our church, our home, and our work lives. is one, communication, two, culture, and three, community. It sounds like Keystone. I just realized that when I did that. Anyway, um, one, communication. Take initiative. Reconciliation only begins when someone chooses to step forward and be vulnerable to address concerns. In marriage, it takes one person. One person cannot solve a conflict. Because there's two parties, and it takes two parties to solve a conflict. Every time, somebody has to be the step forward. Somebody has to take, take the low road. Somebody has to decide, 
I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose that they're for me. I'm going to choose that I don't understand what they're saying because I can't speak their language. I mean, there's a lot of variables here, but I'm going to say we're going to resolve this conflict because it's kingdom. And I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to let this in there, get in and weave its way into the growth on my personal growth and on my family's growth and on the kingdom growth. So communication, take the initiative. The Grecian Jews took a risk by addressing their complaint to the apostles, not knowing what would happen, how they would happen. What would say? What would they say? Would they dismiss me? Would they say it was valid? Would they say, well, yeah, but you guys are always offended because you have no money and you're worried because they have money and they start to dismiss away their complaint or justify why not fixing it? So we do that. We, we decide whether it's valid or not. Through, the, through my lens, I decide if Sarah's complaint is valid or not. We don't need to do that. We need to look through the lens of Christ. It doesn't matter what I think. Father, what are you thinking? What are you saying here? I'm not going to be offended because maybe the complaint's about me. You know, Tree, you're not doing, pulling your load. You're not doing your work. You're not whatever. So I have an opportunity. So it was vulnerable on their part. It's vulnerable on your part to take that initiative when there's something wrong, when you're sensing that there's something wrong in your home, in your marriage, and in church life in this particular instance. There has to be a level of trust um, within the body of Christ. And honestly, I think that's probably one of our biggest issues in the church. We've missed, we have corrupted the trust of the body of Christ. And so I can't fix that, but I can fix me. With Jesus' help, with the Holy Spirit, the power that he says I have, I can choose to change me. And maybe by changing me, we'll change an opportunity that someone who doesn't know Christ to come in to the kingdom because I'm choosing life. I'm choosing not to be offended. I'm choosing to receive and let the level of trust raise. Listen, don't dismiss what you don't understand. I'm, I'm guilty of that. If I don't understand it, I don't think it's valid. I'm done with it. I'm at, I'm at work. I'm making decisions like this all day long, and they got two seconds because I got to make another one, and sometimes I miss it. And I miss it because I'm dismissing it. And I'm not listening. I'm not truly listening to what that person's trying to say to me. I'm not hearing their heart. You know, we talk about that all the time. Can I hear the heart? You guys heard my story about asking the Lord to help me hear my daughter's heart. I needed to hear her heart. I want to be a solution, not of the problem. I want to be the answer. I want to be the person of trust. I want to be the person that's like Jesus. And to do that means I have to listen, and I have to put away my offenses. I have to put away my lenses and say, God, what are they saying? What are they truly saying? Not dismiss it because I don't understand their point of view. Um, Culture. So we have to be aware that there are cultural differences and different backgrounds and different points of view. It's so timely that during this acts that we're doing, this house of acts, when we're getting our house clean, when we're looking for the Holy Spirit for answers, that we're learning about ourselves. You know, with Jordan and Sarah and and, um, Catherine, we're learning about who we are in Christ. Because if I understand who I am, then I can receive the differences of others. And I cannot apologize. I don't have to apologize that I'm not like Mike. It's okay. There's only one Mike. There's only one Teresa. We may have similar gift mixes, but we're not going to be the same. We're not going to think the same. We're not going to reason the same. We're going to come, we come from different backgrounds. When I say backgrounds, I mean, you know, maybe we live, we came from the same location, the Midwest, the Northwest, the, you know, East, different locations of, of America. 
There's different cultures in there. Maybe it's, it's, it's a culture of how I was raised. Maybe you were raised in a single family, a two-family, a divorce situation. Maybe a father that was there but absent. I mean, all that background, whether you want to say it or not, plays a role in how we see other people. So we have to understand that my background, my lens, I can never, ever change that. My name is Teresa Howell Dyer. My, my, father, my dad was James Howell, Dolores Howell. Their lenses affected me. Now with Christ, I can hopefully see through that and begin to see, but it's always going to be there because I was a Midwest girl. I'm always going to be a Midwest girl. It's not going to change. So the same we say with the Grecians here, they are no longer, wherever they came from, now they're living in Jerusalem. Wherever they came from is wherever they came from. Their original language is Greek. So now they can learn Hebrew, they can learn Aramaic, but they're still filtering what you're saying through the lens of Greek. So we have to understand that so that helps us in conflict. Now let's break it down. I'm a woman. Lonnie just doesn't get me <laughs> sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't get you. Because I cannot ever, ever, ever understand the language of a man. Now, I can come to some understanding as we grow. I finish this sentence. He knows where I'm cutting. Hey, babe, yeah, I got it. Take care of it. I love that about our marriage. As we've grown and matured, we are becoming more one. Our language is becoming more one. But I'm still a woman, and that will never change, right? So I'm still going to filter some things through the lens of a woman versus a man. So we need to understand that when we're dealing with each other in conflict, whether it's work, home, with our children and their makeup, their personalities. Um, you know, in my life, Luke and Lily, completely different personalities. They're, they're great, but they're different. And so I can't approach my son like I approach my daughter. It just, it's not going to work. You know, Lily's talk, I want to hear, she's telling me every day, Luke's fine. Sometimes he wants to tell me stuff, sometimes he doesn't. And I have to understand that through the lens. I, as a woman, as his mother, realize that he's different, and that's okay. And so I can't get offended by the fact that sometimes he doesn't do things that I think he should do because I don't understand his thinking. Or, or my husband, do you see where I'm coming from? So this was a great opportunity for the um, apostles to be really aware of the cultural differences. So you have a working class, non-working class. You have Jerusalem-born Jews, outside Jews, Okay. Um, they read differently, so their interpretation of the word was slightly different. So you know, all that comes into play. And then you see the community come in. So I, they could have just said, okay, we're solving the problem. Okay, you're going here. I'm taking care of this. I'm done with this. These people, right? Dad, nab it to these people. Like Moses, why did you give me these people? And so what they, they did the same thing. Aaron stepped in and said, we need to solve this problem. So it's not, it's not new. God says, you can't do this alone, Moses. And he says to the apostles, you can't do this alone. I think at Keystone, we're so aware we can't do this alone. We need each other. We cannot do this alone. The body of Christ is for, for far too long has tried to do it on their own. One church at a time, one denomination at a time, one way of thinking at a time. Once we realize we are the church and we all have a piece of the puzzle and the tapestry of Christ, and we need to connect with each other to advance the kingdom. So they decided, you know, we, we can't do this. So they sought counsel. 
The 12 could have taken upon themselves to make the decision, but they brought it to the body of Christ, the community. They said, here's the problem. Hey, community, here's the problem. How do you solve it? Takes two people to resolve a conflict. We have to stay engaged and we have to talk to community. The Bible talks like 16 times and the Bible talks about counsel, wise counsel. We need each other. You know why? I need to hear from Catherine because I don't think like Catherine. I need that point of view. I never thought of that. I mean, I need it at work, the team. I never thought about that angle. Okay, that's great. It makes me a better person. It makes me a better mother. It makes me a better wife when I hear from other women about things. I need it. I need it. So if I need it, I'm sure the body of Christ needs it. And the apostles recognize they need it. They also recognize that they don't have to be the solution to everybody's problem. I staple these backwards. Hold on a second. So one of the things they talked about is accepting your assignment. In Acts chapter 2, so I'm going to go back to the beginning, and I think I'm missing a page, so here we are. <laughs> In Acts chapter 1, verse 2, we see Jesus commissioning the disciples um, to be Jesus' witnesses to Ju- Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Samaria, And then we see the Holy Spirit filling them with power to fulfill their purposes. When the 12 are saying, I, it is not, when the 12 are saying, it's not good for us to wait tables, they're not saying, yeah, that's beneath me, don't do that. I don't, I don't do that. So you don't, I don't play the game. I don't sit up chairs, sorry. Don't do that, it hurts my back. I mean, I'm bringing it down to a realistic what we're doing. I don't, I don't do that. Um, and I've been guilty of that. I don't do, I don't do kids. Sorry, don't do that. Um, so we, and, and, and I'm not saying that it's not your call. I'm just saying we've all been guilty of saying we don't do certain things, okay? But the apostles are not saying that intent here. I'm not saying that intent when I'm saying it. I'm not saying you're saying that when I don't, I don't set up chairs. I don't, it's the heart behind the issue, okay? Hear what I'm saying. But the apostles are saying, it's not that I can't. It's not that I shouldn't. I'm just telling you that's not my call. And they were unapologetic, because they had just came out of being filled with the Holy Spirit twice and Jesus saying to them, you're my witnesses and you're to go and preach the resurrection and Jesus Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. And they realized that they could not wait the tables and preach the gospel well at the same time. I don't know if any of I have I have been in my work environment where I'm not doing anything well. I'm putting out fires. I'm in four different places. One day I'm nursing, one day I'm in front desk. Nothing's getting well. I'm trying to do four different things, manage different four things, and nothing's well. I hate that. It kills the inside of me when I feel like I do crap work at work. And I do that when I'm trying to do too much and be in two different things and not staying in what my lane is. At work, I know what I'm supposed to do, and that's where I need to do it do it so I can do what I'm called to do there. It's the same thing in our Christian walk. We want to apologize. I'm sorry, I don't do that. But also, we, we need to understand what it is. I think half the churches, we don't understand what it is, or we don't want that. Yeah, I don't want that one. Can I have another one? I'll take what behind number three, door number three. Instead of saying, God, what do you have for me? Jesus, Holy Spirit, what is my call? And I'm not going to be, I'm going to be unapologetic. And that's where I'm going to live. And I'm not going to be sorry for it. It doesn't mean that the apostles probably didn't help feed the, the widows at one time. 
I'm just saying they knew that that was not their primary calling, and they were unapologetic. And as the body of Christ, we need to celebrate each other's gift mix and, and cultivate that culture of what your call is and give you the opportunity to do what God has called you to do. And I, I hope we try to do a good job, that, good job of that um, here at Keystone. And then not feel bad if somebody else isn't on board. I mean, that's hard because sometimes I'm like, yeah, you need to kind of get, you know, going. Because I'm a doer, so, and I'm like a suck it up kind of girl. So, like, I'm like, suck it up. Let's get this done. And sometimes, well, God's taking me through something right now, but sometimes, you know, it's not the right time. And we'll see that later on. Um, so please understand when I, when I, there's no judgment here, okay, about what you ca- are called are called to do or what you're called not to do. It's just understanding what that is and being unapologetic for it. If it's like, I'm called to worship, that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to kids, that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to uh, work at the soup kitchen, that's what I'm called to do. Whatever, the downtrodden, whatever you're called to do, do it for the kingdom of God, with the Holy, filled with the Holy Spirit, and be unapologetic about it. What they were acknowledging is the understanding that they could not meet the administrative needs of the church and preach the gospel at the same time. You know, I have to, I have to confess because, you know, I, I've, judged, I've judged this. I'm like, what do you mean you can't? Well, one, I'm paying your salary, so why can't you do it all? I mean, because Lonnie and I, for the, well, we've always been there. Uh, but I've, I've judged that. I'm just being honest. And I've judged people who are like, why do they have a teaching pastor and an executive pastor? What the heck? I, I'm being honest. And after reading this and really getting into this, I'm like, well, I kind of can see why they do that. I'm not saying we, we're not, you know, I'm not saying that, but I can see why bigger churches that have thousands of, they do that. It makes sense to me now. And I had to repent. Lord, forgive me for judging them because maybe they were just trying to find the X model. Okay, I need to teach and then devote my work, myself to prayer and the word and let somebody else be the executive pastor and care for the widows and orphans and care for the kids' church. And the, I can understand now why they do it. I'm just, you know, it makes sense to me. And so I had to, I had to ask the Lord, forgive me for judging. Um, in verse, it, uh, the, the, the 12 recognize that, um, that it was not beneath them. And in the book of James, it says, true religion is to care for the widows and orphans. So they were, they were very well aware that it was a worthy assignment and that theirs was not any greater than than that one. They were both equally important in the kingdom, and they had to do their part. They just recognized that was not their part. Um, I love how the apostles, in their wisdom, said, okay, church, you choose. Um, And he said, let's you be the solution to your own problem. Grecian Jews became the solution to their own problem. He didn't bring the Hebraic Jews in there and say, okay, you got to rescue the Grecian Jews because they don't have any money, or they don't have their stuff together, they don't know how to... They said, okay, let's, you guys pick seven men full of the Holy Spirit in favor and that we can help distribute to make sure this is fair. And I'm sure many men were nominated, but they chose seven. They obviously agreed on seven. And so they became the answer or the solution to the conflict. And so many times we are looking for somebody else to either solve the problem, rescue us from the problem, or complain with us about the problem. Right? We want them to rescue us or complain with us about it. 
And so when are we going to come into life and say, how, how can I solve it? Even if it's like, okay, I can't solve it, but if I get with Catherine's, the Catherine's and Melissa, we can solve it together. And so many times we don't. We just want to complain about it. You know, this isn't being done. This should be done. How come this isn't being done? I'm, I'm listen, you're, I'm, not pre- I'm preaching to myself here, okay? I'm teaching myself. And God is saying, no. Through the Holy Spirit, you can be the solution to your community. And, you're, and you guys, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here because y'all are all a solution to our community. But they recognized that the Grecians were capable and they realized they needed to be valued as a part of the body and therefore they needed to contribute. I see so many times where people are, the, their commitment is like this because they don't understand that they are a valuable part of the community of God. And whether they're cleaning the toilet, preaching up the word behind a, a keyboard, are never seen behind the scenes and never out in front, they are still valued and capable to touch everybody in the body of Christ. Because we need people to set up, we need people to tear down. You know, I'm talking about just our, we need people to do worship, we need people to do sound, we need people in kids, we need people with youth, we need people for prayer, we need people that are um, listening to the Holy Spirit and being prophetic. We need all the gifts. All the gifts need to operate. We have, I think, this is my opinion, that the body of Christ has celebrated some and not valued the others. And you cannot, they are, they are in sync. They are all in one. We need everyone. And when the church recognizes that in themselves and unapologetically says, you know what? I'm a hospitality. Put me in the kitchen. I love it. I knew a girl, her name was Kathy um, from our old church, and she loved it. Her and her husband put them in the kitchen. They loved it. They excelled. They were happy. I mean, they were almost, they were contagious that they, people came to work with them because they were so passionate about being in the kitchen. They weren't seeing, they were serving. They were serving at weddings. They were making, I mean, they loved it. And they were, they needed, we were, I valued that because I, and that's not me. You don't want me, you do not want me to cook you that kind of meal. But they loved it. They enjoyed it. They felt they were contributing and the value of that is huge. Who doesn't like food? There's, I mean, I'm telling you, they're like, hey, yeah, Kathy and Frank are doing kitchen, you know? Um, so my point is, we need to celebrate what God has called us to, not be unapologetic for it, and not say, if one is, well, well, God's called me to the kitchen. That's probably not the greatest thing. He must not like me. He likes Luke better. No, I am created with a call, and I need to accept it, embrace it, and not make excuses for it anymore and become the solution to the, my own problem, which is what um, the, the apostles recognized that they did. And therefore, the Grecians, man, they took it. They're like, yeah, thank you. I actually were like, man, they have faith in us. We can solve this. They don't need to, well, we better bring the Hebraic Jews in there because you don't know what you're doing. And well, they'll pull you out of the hole. I mean, it wasn't like that. It was like, hey, you guys can do it. We trust you. How do we want to do this? You pick. Because they knew that they could communicate in their community and they could solve the problem in their community. You put a Hebraic juice in there, he's not going to understand, why aren't you guys doing it this way? Because we're Greeks. <laughs> and the body of Christ needs both. You know, the, the Greeks were kind of the outsiders. Well, we need the outsiders. You know, we don't need to be all religious and staunch. We need that. And we need to know that they're, they need to know they're valued and what they have to say matters. 
So they, they chose seven men, Stephen, Philip, Prochorius, Nic Nicanor, Timian, Permentheus, Nicholas of Antioch. To, that, that, and I love how they say a convert of Antioch. Why, I mean, a convert to Judaism. Why was that important? must have been important because he put it in there. And they also put in there Stephen, a man full of faith and, what do you say, faith and grace. Well, he, they talk about him a lot. And I don't want to go into that for Harlan. Grace and power. So I want to just talk about those men because I think we discount, again, these, these seven men, all different, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different points of view. So Stephen's position, you know, Stephen's position never changed. He was a deacon until they stoned him. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a preacher. I know it seems that way, but he was not. He stayed a deacon and served tables to the day they stoned him. And who did, who's talk about, not only did they say full of grace and power, and then they go back and, his name means crown, by the way, and then they go back and say he was full of grace. I mean, they're just, I mean, they're gushing on this guy. I mean, his brothers, and, his brothers and sisters in Christ can't say enough about this guy's character. But his position never changed. He was a deacon. He waited tables and served the widows and the disciples till the day he was died. He didn't have a big pulpit. He wasn't having 15 churches. He just did what God called him to do. And his Christ-like character is what kept, God kept saying, Oh, I, what? Get out here, Stephen. You get to talk to them. You need to talk to them. I don't want to talk to them. I'm just a deacon. No, I have gifted you with the Christ-likeness and then filled you with the power. Now go do some miracles. But he never, cha he never changed anything. He was still a deacon. So if Christ is in me and I am filled with the Holy Spirit, I can do whatever I am, whether I'm sitting in the pew and I never, I never am up here or I'm in the kitchen or back with the kids or you never see me because I'm behind the sound booth. I can still touch people's life if I have Christ-like character and full of the Spirit. But Christ-like character is what made way for Stephen. He didn't have to force it. He didn't force himself into a position. God, he, God, he served where he was planted, and God did great things through Stephen. So much so that Stephen's life was cut short, but Paul's life was transformed because of Stephen. If we can just realize that, I, God, if I can just change one life, look, one life changed, mil well, thousands. I don't know how many people. Paul's life was changed because of all the Stephen ordeal, and look what he did for the kingdom of God. So don't discount one life. One life by hugging a child. One life by feeding somebody. One life by singing a song that doesn't seem like anybody cares. You just don't know. One life by holding your child, children tonight and praying over them. One life can change millions. And then we see Philip. Now here's the reverse role. So we see Philip start out as a deacon. And then he eventually entered evangelism. And he became a companion to the apostles. So don't discount where God has planted you. Sometimes you've got to serve another man's field. And we see that. I mean, you know, I, I bet you, I bet you, Philip was full of fire because he, if he's evangelism, he's got. Oh my God, I just got to tell people about Jesus. And he's serving the widows who already know about Jesus. 
because they're, they're, they're Grecian widows, right? They already know. I mean, I bet he just, I wonder if he was discontent. Have we all been there? I'm discontent. God, I don't feel like I'm doing what you called me to do. Just serve, serve where you're at because there's things I'm teaching you. There's administration you need to know. You need to know the, how to love the least of these. You need to know how to encourage the least of these. And then, uh, so in the in mundane, he just served. And then eventually the position and the call of God's puzzle moved him into his call as an evangelist. And so I want to bring Luke in here. So we see Luke. We see Luke again at the beginning where he's talking about they, them, that it happened. And then you see him enter the picture as in we. So he must have joined in. So he wasn't just a bystander or here. Oh, Pastor Lonnie, tell me what happened in India. That's Luke at the beginning. Then he's like, I'm going with you to India. And then he's back out home again. Now tell me what happened, Mike. What happened when you guys went to to, uh, Samaria? What happened? So we see him in and out. Sometimes in seasons of life, God has you enter and pull back and enter and pull back. I'm Luke right now. So we don't, we don't need to begrudge that, and we don't need to judge it in someone's life. I think our church is full of those. We're full of Lukes, where maybe we've been on the front lines of ministry. We've just been going, 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 and then God says, time to come home, and you can just hear about it. And we're like, God. And we, some, well, right now we're like, okay. I'm like, okay. But then we get restless because we know why. Because if you're evangelist, you're still evangelist. And then sometimes we just kind of like, why can't I go with them? And, God, and God's like, Luke, how about you just write this? I need you right now to be at home because I need you to write the book of Luke. I need you to focus on the writing and let them come back and tell you what's going on. I need you to be listening to me because the spirit, the scriptures are Holy Spirit inspired. And maybe God's like, no, it's time to pull back. I don't want you hearing anybody else's word. When they come and tell you a story, now I want you to get along with me and I want you to write my word. So don't begrudge if God has you in that season where you're a Luke. You're in, sometimes you're out. Your call is still your call. And your way, and God will make a way for your gifting, regardless of the season. Enjoy the seasons of life. Embrace the seasons of life you're in, because I promise you, he's got something he's got to tell you. He's got something for you to do. He's got something for you to accomplish. He's got something he wants to share in that season. And you're not going to hear it sometimes when you're in the, the throes of what it looks like. So then enter Nicholas of Antioch. So Nicholas is what we would consider the outsider. He's from a different background and a different culture. Um, and I talked about that. We need this in the body of Christ to challenge and grow. I'm sure he didn't have the unbreaking um, that the others had in the culture. I'm sure he didn't have the Hebraic, you know, Torah background. He's the new believer coming in. In fact, the the word convert means actually to have an opposing opinion or view and then be changed. So he came from maybe an atheistic, whatever, whatever you want to call it, background, and then all of a sudden he's converted. That's why they say he was converted to Judaism. They needed you to understand this guy, he's like the new believer. I don't know anything. I just love Jesus. Man, he saved my life. You know, you have your bills. Like, man, I'm kind of jealous for that. They're new believers. They have no background. They were not raised in church. They know nothing about the legalism. And they're just like, I just love the Lord. He saved me. Put me in, put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. There's zealousness. 
You know, their zealousness for the Lord is, is strong. They don't, have, they don't know the Bible. They don't know the culture. They haven't been taught they need to dress up to go to church and wear the right clothes. They haven't talked to they, how to sing the right thing. They haven't talked how to, how to babysit their kids, make sure the kids are mine and in service. They don't know all that. They just know that Jesus changed their life and they're here. To me, that's Nicholas. That's how I picture Nicholas. He's zealous for the Lord. He doesn't have the background, but it doesn't disqualify him to serve where he's at. Maybe he's immature in the kingdom. You know, maybe he messes up because he's unwise. He hasn't listened. He hasn't learned to listen to the, the Holy Spirit's temperament. You know, he just says something in harsh words because his prophetic gifting comes out wrong. We need those Nicholases to remind us of the passion and the zealousness of Christ. The newness of being the trueness of a convert of Jesus. And then we have the three that were mentioned, and they were not mentioned, like they didn't go into detail, and they're not mentioned throughout the Bible, but maybe they just were steadfast men. God's called me here. I'm serving here till I die. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm serving the windows. Every week I'm showing up. I'm putting, I'm putting out food for the widows. Mary, did you get your food? Great. I'm going to check on Mary. Does she fed? Does she have a place to stay? Is her head, she warm and she got a blanket? I'm just steadfast. My dad was steadfast. He served where he was planted, behind the scenes, praying for the word of God, for the men of God he was serving. Steadfast. That's my dad. You're not going to hear about James Howell, but in heaven, he's celebrated because he was steadfast. He was a deacon till the day he died. What do you need, Pastor? Yes, I'll do it. I need, we need prayer. You need wisdom? I'm praying for you. He was steadfast. Out of all those things, that's what I want to be. Steadfast for the kingdom of God. Wherever you plant me, Lord, let me be steadfast. Let me be consistent, regardless of how I feel, regardless of whether I'm happy, whether I'm complaining, whether I agree with it. Whatever's going on, I'm steadfast because I know you have called me to that. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. Change my heart. I am steadfast for the kingdom. So the challenge in closing is, can we accept the different calls that we see in each other and not covet someone else's, like Sapphira and Ananias. They wanted Joseph's reward, but they didn't want to do the work that Joseph did and the humility that Joseph... Joseph did it not wanting it exposed. Ananias and Sapphira just wanted to be recognized. Can we just be steadfast for the kingdom of God and nobody ever knowing our name? Can we take the initiative when we see there's conflict to solve an issue or are we just going to complain about it? Can we accept the cultural differences, the personalities, the backgrounds, the thought processes within the body of Christ? Because we need, we need the Nicholases of Antioch. Are we ready to be our own answer and solution to a problem that we see in our community? Or what, rather, what keeps us from stepping in to serving the community, to serving our disciples? Disciples, in the, once the 12 became apostles, the disciples meant all Christians. You became a disciple when you became Christ follower. 
So as a community, a church, can we step into serving our community? And if we can't, ask why. And maybe it's a simple question was, I don't know what you want me to do, God. You know, I, again, with, on the heels of kind of understanding who we are, and I know Kath and Sarah have talked about in Jordan about letting the Holy Spirit take you on this journey. Let him take you on the journey, and if you don't know what you're called to do, during that journey as he's wrecked, he's already put those gifts in you. You think the way you think because you're called to do something specific. And it may look like me or Lonnie or Melissa or Harley. It may look similar, but it's going to be different because you're not us or we're not you. Do you see what I'm saying? And it doesn't discount anything. So as we become the house of Acts, it's imperative when conflict arises that we take the initiative, that we're not offended, that we celebrate each other's calls, gifts, and we walk into our own and say, where can I serve in our body and where can I can serve in our community? Like from here, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. God, where and what does it look like for me to, to serve? And help me, Jesus, to be steadfast. Let's pray. Father, everything that was done in the book of Acts was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for a keystone specifically tonight that the people that are here, that the people are home, that are out of the town or whatever, that you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's through your spirit things can get accomplished for the kingdom. Not in our own ability, not in our own what we think we should do, but only through the Holy Spirit. Father, make us steadfast for the kingdom. Clear away our offenses. that are. If there's any in there, God, I pray that the conflicts that are there and the opportunities for offensive, Lord, that that person would take the initiative for reconciliation. That if we see a problem, that we're complaining, we feel like things are not fair, Lord, that we would have that, we would have the um, understanding to go and make things right. That we would celebrate the differences that we have, the different personality types, the different backgrounds, Lord, that we celebrate the Nicholases of Antioch that come into our church that are here already. I just thank you, Lord, for your love, for your faithfulness, for your resurrection power that you've given us to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, we no longer are going to be ashamed or apologetic for the call that you've placed in our lives. We are going to embrace it, and we are going to do it with um, passion, with purpose, and being steadfast in that call. For those who don't know what that looks like, I pray, Lord, that you would give them revelation, that they would understand what you've called them to do and to, to embrace that part. And no matter their background, no matter where they come from, that does not disqualify them from what you've called them to do. And it may not be perfect, but it doesn't matter. Nothing's perfect. Only you. That we would give you all the glory. We would give you all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day.